0: We invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm eighty-eight, Psalm chapter eighty-eight. We are kind of moving past our series that we've been doing with uh, Moses, the life of Moses. What does it look like to trust God? What do we learn from him regarding that? I want to start a new series uh, in the fall, but I don't want to wait until it feels more like fall, maybe or after Labor Day. At least um, it'll feel like fall, like in November, probably. But. Um, Anyway, we're going to do a couple of standalone uh, passages or sermons until we get there. Psalm 88 is what I want to look at uh, this morning. Uh, we've described the Psalms in the past as the, the prayer book of the people of God, meaning they contain uh, each chapter, the chapters, and even the verses, our prayers to be used by God's people uh, for when you're expressing joy and thankfulness and, and praise, or when there's uh, a need for wisdom or a burden, uh, confession. Uh, repentance, uh, there's all those psalms for that. Uh, this psalm is typically described as a song of lament or a psalm of, of complaint. Uh, lament or complaint in the sense of this individual is going through a, a difficult time, a troubling time in their lives, and this is uh, their prayer and response uh, to what's happening to them, the burden they've been carrying for um, probably quite some time. Uh, and so that's, that's who it's for. Uh, you may say, but I'm not going through trouble. I'm not going through a, a hard time. Well, maybe, um, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but there'll probably be a time when you do go through trouble, when you do go through a uh, hardship, and maybe a hardship that really rocks your foundation and, and throws you off uh, balance, uh, certainly uh, spiritually. And the psalm will be helpful towards that end. But also, I'm, I'm sure you know people that are going through hard times, and uh, maybe even a, a dark time. And these words in this passage uh, will give us um, some, help as, some help as we think about them, as we minister to them, and, and certainly as we, we pray for them, maybe better understanding um, what they're going through. So, with that being said, let's stand together and read from God's Word, Psalm 88. Psalm 88. The, the title of the psalm, which is printed in, before verse 1, A Song, a Psalm of the Sons of Korah for the Director of Music, according to Mahadlah, Jehovah, excuse me, Lenath, a maskiel of Haman, the Ezrite. Verse 1 Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day, I spread out my hands to you. Do not show your wonders do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and, in, and am in despair. Your wrath, was, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father God, these uh, words uh, remind us of uh, how difficult life can be and how lonely and isolating life can feel at times and how dark it can be. We pray that you administer to us, show us the light of your truth and the glory of your Son, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, we, uh, because there's so much I want to uh, look at in this psalm, I really kind of want to jump in there, jump into it and uh, get into it. Uh, simply put, this psalm is about what it looks like to pray when life takes a bad turn, uh, when your dreams become a nightmare. What does it look like to pray? This is at least one example uh, of that. Uh, it just takes one reading of that to feel how messy it is. Uh, how m- uh, messy this person is feeling in the messy conversation, if you will, that he's having uh, with his Lord, with his with his Savior. And I think that's uh, is helpful to us because it, it gets at the honesty that, that we can have with God over what life is bringing us and what circumstances we find ourselves in. So with that being said, there's three things I want us to... Stick. Kind of do as we move through this passage, I want to talk about the, the power of darkness, the power of maybe hardships can have uh, in our lives. I want to talk about the, the danger of darkness and what I mean by that, the spiritual danger of that, of what trouble can, um, can expose us to and some temptations that we face. And then the hope. What's, what's the hope that we have? Uh, where do we see the hope of the gospel uh, in this uh, passage, if you will? So first, the, the power of, of, of darkness. For starters, we need to think about the author of this psalm. Who wrote it? It's why I kind of butchered the the title of the psalm in the beginning. But it says it's a maskil of of Haman, which is great. Haman wrote it, but I don't know him. I know Moses. I know David. uh, I know some of the other authors uh, in the Bible, but I'm not familiar with Haman. Who is that guy? Well, if you pull out your concordance and, and run through there, you'll see that he pops up in First Chronicles 6. And what we learn is that he's an artist, he's a, he's a poet, he's part of those that helped um, with the worship of God. Part of the, the Sons of Korah there. If you go to uh, Psalms that are in the in the 40s or Psalms that are in the 80s, you'll see they're attributed to Sons of Korah, and apparently he is a, a part of that group. And so this is somebody that has uh, a history with the Lord, certainly, and, and knows him on on a, on a a good level. But there's two things about his darkness that that I want to pull out and see if we can make some application for ourselves. The first is. He's got an eternal darkness, internal darkness, and a external darkness. Internal and external darkness. But external darkness, what I mean is obvious that his situation, what's going on around him, that's the darkness that he finds himself in. We don't know the specifics of his troubles, okay? We're not told that. We don't know if it's some kind of persecution, some kind of injustice some kind of health problem, we don't know the circumstances. It could be any of a, a number of things, which on some level is kind of frustrating because we'd like to know. But it, in a way, it's, it's good because it it, it makes it, this psalm that much more accessible to us, if you will, that we can apply our own situation, our own hardship, our own difficulty uh, into the psalm and, and take more ownership of it. But on top of this, we get the picture in verses 8 and 18, that his friends have left him, that he's, he's feeling uh, isolated, he's, he's feeling alone. Uh, it's one thing to have this struggle. It's another thing to feel like he's going through it alone and isolated. There's nobody there around him to encourage him, to strengthen him, to, nobody he can go and grab coffee with and say, Will you pray with me? Here's my troubles. Will you maybe give me some wisdom, but just at least pray for me? Uh, we get from this psalmist that there's nobody like that in his life. And we all know that the importance of companionship, the importance of relationship. Uh, along these lines, Ecclesiastes 4 reminds us of this. He says, "...two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up again. If two lie together, they keep warm." But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need people in our lives. We need people that that we can trust, that we can be vulnerable with, that uh, that somebody that's going to come into our lives and say, I'm going to bear this burden with you. I'm here with you. I want to cry with you. I want to weep with you. I want to rejoice with you at the same time. Because it's, let me point out this too. It's one thing to be alone and isolated where you don't have any friends. But just because you have people around you, just because you have a lot of friends that you know of, you can still feel isolated. You can still feel alone. You can still feel like nobody's concerned about who you are. Even if you're married, you can feel isolated and alone. Uh, even if you, you're sharing your house with somebody and you're going through the routine of life, it's still easy to feel alone and isolated. That's a little bit about his uh, external uh, darkness, maybe, if you will. It also talks about his internal darkness. In verse 1, God is is his salvation. This is him making a statement of faith, a statement of belief and trust uh, in his Savior. Um, but he's not seeing God. He's not feeling God. It, it, it doesn't take long to see. He's not ex- experiencing God like he would want to. He's struggling to find God's presence in his life. Verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? This is Haman saying, basically, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel rejected. Um, I feel like you've you've forgotten about me because you're not answering my prayers. You're not concerned about my circumstances. You're not protecting. You're not providing for me. Uh, He feels like God has left him. And so feel the weight, if you will, a little bit about this, this struggle that he's going through. It's one thing to struggle with a hardship, with a, with a difficulty, health concern or relationship matter or something like that. And you feel like God is with you in that process, that he's, you feel his peace and comfort, his promises feel real valuable to you in that, in that hardship. But it's, a, it's another thing. When you're going through that difficulty and you feel isolated, and certainly when you feel isolated spiritually, that God is not really present in your life, aiding and comforting and let alone answering and, and taking you out of that uh, circumstance. And this is where the, kind of the, the weight of what Haman is experiencing in this situation. And one of the, the takeaways I think we can apply uh, from this for ourselves at, at this point is that it, it's a pretty amazing, I think, if you take a step back, that this psalm is in the Bible, that this prayer is in the Bible. As dark as it is, as, as weighty as it feels, as desperate as its authors articulating his, his prayer, I think it's, it's gracious of God to say, you know what? I know you don't have your act together. I know that life feels like a mess and you feel out of control And I'm willing to hear about that mess. I'm willing to hear about that difficulty. Uh, It's not going to affect how I relate to you and how I respond to you. I I know you're a mess. I know your heart. I know your weaknesses. I know how you're responding to your circumstances. And God says, I invite you to to bring that to me. Uh, Lay it all out before me. uh, To express what's really going on in our hearts and in our lives, knowing that he can uh, hear that. And he's going to act, and he's going to work uh, regardless of how bad it is. That's a little bit about the power of darkness. I want to think about the, the, the danger of the darkness, or the spiritual danger, if you will, uh, of this darkness. And again, danger in the sense of this is what, when we find ourselves in hardship and in trouble it's almost like some new temptations are opened up to us that we're exposed to that maybe we weren't vulnerable to uh, before, but um, some new temptations that come our way that that seem appealing to us because of what we are experiencing. And I want to share three. One is, the first one is envy. first one is is envy. Uh, When things are especially difficult and you feel isolated and you think you've been singled out uh, for a particular hardship, we start to think... It sure would be great to be that person. It sure would be great to, to have that kind of family, to have that kind of job, to live in that kind of place, to, to have that kind of house or that kind of car or whatever it is. We start to envy other people and their situations and what they have because what you have is, is such a burden. It's such a struggle. It's, it's so demeaning. It's just uh, dissolving you that you wish you had other people's uh, situations and the, the problem with that, the, the danger of that spiritually to us is if you are captured by envy of other people, it's impossible to trust God with your circumstances. and impossible, impossible for you to trust God with what he needs to do in your life because you're keeping him at bay. You're, you're pushing away. You say, God, I, I don't want you. I don't want this. I want what they have. And everything is going to be disappointing to you. Because the reality, what they have is just not what you have, and you're, you're never gonna, really going uh, to have that. So the first one is, is envy. The second spiritual danger is, is doubt. Uh, hardships come, and it's easier to doubt God's goodness. It's easy to doubt God's love. God is not giving me what I want. He's not giving me what I need. He's not giving me what clearly should be happening in my life. And when he doesn't do that, we start to think, well, maybe he, he, he doesn't love me because he's not giving me what I want and what I need and what clearly is obvious that he should be doing in my life. We begin to doubt him. I love the story of the disciples with Jesus in a boat in the sea in the midst of a storm in Mark chapter 4. These uh, professional fishermen in their boat crossing the sea, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat on his pillow, lying comfortably. The storm comes up and and sweeps things away. It sweeps them into it, and they panic. Professional fishermen who know storms. This is not like they've never been on the sea before. And they turn to Jesus, and they say, "'Don't you care for us? "'Don't you care that we're about to die?' When things get difficult, when our needs are not being met, we begin to doubt God's love for us, God's concern for us in our lives. The third thing is, is anger. When our troubles become so heavy, it's easier to get angry at God, angry that he's put us into this position, that he's put us into this trial. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening to me. This is not what I want with my life. These are not my dreams. These are not my priorities, I know what's better for me. And when those things don't happen, we get angry. I think you can feel a little bit of the anger with Haman here. Verse 15, he says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm, I'm helpless. It's like he's saying, God, you've never been there for me. I've had all this drama in my life, all this difficult, and you've never been there for me. Verse 18, my companions have become darkness. Your translations in the pews are darkness is my closest friend. It's pretty bad when you say what? Darkness is your closest friend. Think about the reality of that and what he's experiencing and what he's feeling. The frustration, God, I don't see you at all. You're not around You can feel his disappointment and his anger with God because of the darkness that he finds himself in. The lesson here for us, I think, is not to be thrown off track when hardships come into our life, not to throw our faith out the door when difficulties come into us. And you all know this. Many of you have been through difficulty, hardships, where you feel like your faith has been tested and for us to be warned and be settled that when hardships come, God may feel distant. He may, he may, he may do things in my life that I don't want or I don't see as, as good for me. But by faith, I'm going to trust him. By faith, I'm going to trust that he knows what's best for me, that he's going to help me with what I need. Which is great when we can go through a hardship and we can look back and say... I'm glad he did that because, because he did that or because I experienced that, this, this, and this came into my life. And we see the, the reason for that, okay? We see the fulfillment maybe of Romans 8.28. He worked something good in my life. It, it worked out for good in my life. And we, we see that. But to know, too, that there's, there'll be situations where you don't know why. You don't know why this happened. You don't know why this, this person passed away or why this person got sick like this or this happened uh, with your child or in your marriage or so on and so forth. We, we, we may not find out why. But to be convinced that God can be trusted, even though I don't know why, uh, maybe uh, think about it like this. Um, say you're uh, in an elevator. And you're being taken up to uh, the top floor, let's say. And there's a guy working the elevator, and he's kind of your guide. And he says to you, "As we, uh, I'm about to open up these doors, and the room you're going to see is the honeymoon suite. And you get there, and the bell dings, and the doors slide open. And you're overwhelmed with this smell. And you see trash and debris, and it's, it's ugly, and it's dirty. And you think, that is miserable. I, can't, I could never survive there. Or think about this, same guide, same elevator, and he's about to open uh, the same doors, and he says to you, what you're about to see here is is a prison. And he opens up, and you see the same thing, the trash, the debris, the the coldness, and all that is about it, and you're better prepared. And you think, okay, I understand that, I get that. The the point is, the Bible never promises a hardship-free life, a difficult-free life. God promises that I will be with you day in and day out, that I'll be faithful, that I will work in your life. that you We, we know we can be trusted because of the cross and because of his love for us, that he's going to work his will and his ways in our lives. And the question for us is, are you spiritually ready when hard times come? Are you spiritually ready to trust God and to live by faith in the midst of situations that may not make sense? Where's the hope in this passage? Where's the good news. You survey this passage. This is, uh, commentators are quick to say, this is probably the darkest passage in the Bible. Certainly the, the darkest psalm in the Bible. There's other laments, but they're, and they're, there's their complaint and there's weight and the troubles that they're carrying. They're expressed. But at the end, there's always this, this hope. There's this confidence that God's going to work. He's going to do something. This passage ends with, Darkness is my closest friend. So where is the hope? Where's the hope, where is the hope uh, in this passage? For starters, we've got to to remember this psalm in the context of the Bible, in the context of the story of the Bible. And we have to go back to Genesis 3 and be reminded of the ramifications of that event in Genesis 3, of the fall, that Adam and Eve introduced a broken and a corrupt and sinful world to us. And because of that, hardship is going to be the case. Difficulty is going to be part of that People like you and me struggle in the Bible. We get glimpses of individuals who had real problems, real struggles, real real difficulties, whether it's infertility or um, persecution or exile. Uh, God's people struggling because of life in a fallen world. But still, there, there's two points um, I want to bring out in, in light of that. How do we keep... God alive in our moments of darkness. The first one is this, we need to refuse to give up on God. We have to refuse to give up on on God. When things get bad, when things get dark, it's so easy to give up on him. Uh, Sometimes it looks like, you know, stop reading, stop praying, stop moving towards God. Sometimes it looks like you're just on cruise control. You're saying Christian-y kind of words and maybe going through the motions of it. But you've put up some some walls. You've put up some barriers. God is too disappointing to you, and you don't want to move uh, towards him. And I think that Haman helps us uh, to see that. As bad as it gets for him, he prays. He prays day and night, morning and evening. It's not like he's waking up and he's reading his couple paragraphs from his devotion and maybe the Lord's Prayer, and then he moves on. But you get the picture that he is wrestling with God, that he is... He's, he's like Jacob wrestling with God in prayer day and night, bringing his burdens to God, bringing uh, what's troubling him to God, wrestling with him and being so persistent and consistent. There's a great parable in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is talking about the priority of praying and not giving up. You remember the story of the persistent widow. There's this judge that's not the greatest judge in her community, and he keep, she keeps going to him day, and, day after day, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, he's just like, you're driving me crazy. Okay, I'm going to act in a just way for you. I'm going to help you just so you'll just leave me alone. And Jesus's point, and part of his point with that parable is, if this unjust judge who persistently hears this widow's, or this person's uh, grievances and needs help, if he and is not being a good judge helps out, how much more your heavenly Father is going to help you? How much more your, your heavenly, perfectly loving Father is going to come when you persistently come with your prayers and come with your petitions to him? Maybe think about it uh, like this. Think about being faithful uh, like this. There are two kinds of hope that we can fall into or that we can participate in. Uh, there's a hope that's what I call an earthly hope, and there's a heavenly hope. Earthly, an earthly hope is a hope that my circumstances will change, my marriage will get better, my children will make better decisions, uh, my income will pick up, my job life, my professional life will get better, my house, I'll get a bigger and better house, my health will get better. The, the, the earthly hope, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but sometimes we can say that's where I'm going to find life. When those things get better, then I'm going to have peace and rest but I want you to think about a heavenly hope, if you will. And a heavenly hope is where God is our focus, and the more of him I have in my life, the more peace and contentment and rest that I can have, the more joy I can have. It's it's the kind of peace that Paul talks about when he expresses in Philippians that he knows a peace and a contentment with God that's When things are bad and when things are good, it doesn't matter. He's resting in God and knows him fully and abundantly. There's something I came across. I'll read this quote to you, and this expresses what I'm trying to communicate. The author writes, We are apt to imagine that the happiness of man is greatly dependent upon earthly prosperity and that the loss of temporal comforts is an irreparable evil. But God would teach us that this is altogether a mistake, He shows us how insufficient earthly things are to make us happy, and by reducing us to a state of want or pain or trouble or any kind, he leads us to himself and then shows us how happy he can make us, though under circumstances most painful to the flesh and blood. There's a second thing about seeing hope in this psalm, and I'll I'll close with this. And it relates to how he uh, closes this psalm when he says, Darkness is my only friend or my closest friend. As we think about darkness in the Bible and the experience of darkness in the Bible, we've got to ask ourselves, where else do we see darkness talked about? And our minds and our hearts go to the gospel. And we go to the scene of the crucifixion where Matthew tells us, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later on in the text, in that story of the crucifixion, there's the earth is shaking, rocks are splitting, tombs are breaking apart. And what is happening here is the picture that Jesus is getting real darkness, that Jesus is experiencing the, the, the darkness. Haman gets the experience of darkness in the sense of in his life, in his circumstances, in his trouble. But Jesus gets real darkness, real isolation, real silence from God, real emptiness, uh, if you will. And we know why he got that darkness. It's because of the broken world that we live in. It's because of the broken lives that we Uh, live out every day it's because of the broken things that we do and it's our need for forgiveness our need for our debts to be canceled our need to find uh, God's forgiveness in our lives to be redeemed and to be restored but that darkness that Jesus experienced also tells us too that when we accept that when we take that into the center of our lives that we will never experience real darkness you will never experience real darkness because of the darkness that Christ faced for you. We may have moments of trouble and hardship and things get really dark and really confusing and really bad, but the cross tells us, the life of Christ tells us, that God knows about darkness. And because of the darkness that he experienced, you will never know real darkness. You'll never know real isolation. You'll never know real distance from God, that God loves you. Unconditionally, fully. And he invites us to rest in that, to know that, to build our lives on the reality of that truth and judge everything in light of that. Know God's love because of the cross. Don't judge God's love for you because of your circumstances. If you judge it by your circumstances, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you know God's love for you based upon the cross, you're always going to be fulfilled and at peace and content with all that he is. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, pray uh, this life is hard. It is a struggle to be here. Uh, Things happen that are confusing. Things happen to us that are disappointing. Things don't always work out as we would uh, have them, but help us to see and to know in a rich and beautiful way that you are true, that you love us, that you uh, face darkness so that we would never know eternal darkness, so that we would have your light, that we would have your truth, that we would never uh, fully live in isolation, fully live alone, fully live without you in our lives, but you are real, you are present. And I pray the hope and the reality of you would weigh heavy upon us I pray for those that are here this morning that are troubled by their circumstances, troubled by life, troubled by what they're experiencing, and I pray the glory of yourself would reside heavy and full, that the light and your truth and your goodness and your love would be real and would be experienced more than our circumstances, more than what is happening around us, but help us to rest in you. We pray that you would give us faith to do so. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.